Hey everybody, welcome to another commissioned podcast from the guys of Bald Move. Uh, this one is sponsored by Michael Kessler, who's a uh, fan of ours, longtime fan of ours, watching a lot of our shows and decided to back us on Subbable uh, so that we would review Waking Life. This is uh, a birthday present, if I recall correctly. from From his wife, Emma, yeah. So thank you, Emma. <laughs> thank you. I think we're giving Michael way too much credit for this we whole are, transaction. Really, I mean, he's just uh, an inactive observer <laughs> here. So, uh, is he the dreamer awoken, or is he the I, awake sleeper? I, at this point, I don't even know anymore. I'm not sure I'm awake. Uh, what do you think of this? Or why don't you tell us a little bit about this movie? What What is Waking Life? Uh, this movie was a it's a it's a Richard Linklater film. Uh huh. He's recently in the news for doing this movie called Boyhood, where he took Ethan Hawke and one of the Arquette sisters. Gave him some googly eyes. Gave him some googly eyes. He filmed it over a 12-year. He started with a seven-year-old boy, and it's a Jeez. it's the film about the relationship between the seven-year-old boy and Ethan Hawke, I think. Okay. And all the way Does to Ethan where... Ethan Hawke get 12 years older as well? Yes. So, so it's every, real-time filming. They, 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 every summer, they filmed about three or four weeks for this period of wow. 12 years. That's kind of cool. They wrote in things that happened to Ethan and things that happened to the little boy and their mm. real lives into it. They'd like get together and collaboratively write a script and then film it okay. and then shut down. So, so it's a little bit like Axe Cop? <laughs> yes, it's exactly <laughs> like Axe Cop. Okay. Um, but I think that, you know, he's got this kind of rep for doing these out there. Uh, really interesting experimental type. films. Yeah. He's uh, responsible for Slacker, Dazed and Confused, Before Sunset, uh, <laughs> After Sunrise, or Before Sunrise, which is another uh, kind of Ethan Hawke. Uh, I can't remember her name. Delphi. De- Julia Delphi, is that her uh, name? Del- Del- Delby? Delphi? I don't know. Uh, a little... Derpy? R- yeah, yeah. Anyway, a, kind of a film with him. <laughs> he did a Scanner Darkly, Philip K. Yeah, Dick I really love that one. Uh, and he does a lot of the same shtick here in the waking life. He takes a some digital film that he shot with all these different people, and mm-hmm. then he hired a person to MS Paint style animate it. I mean, it's very <laughs> loose. In fact, mm-hmm. one interesting thing is that I got seasick at least three times watching this film. It seems like when he was walking through. Um, Central Grand Central Station, uh, and, and the background was kind of like moving independently, like parallaxing sure. independently. It made me super queasy, mm-hmm. and it happened a, cu- a couple times. I had to like stop watching the film and just watch out of the corner of my eye because I was literally about to get motion sickness, which I've not <laughs> experienced with 3D films or anything, uh-huh. and it was really bizarre. But the conceit of this film is that this this man. I believe is dreaming the entire film. Seems like it, yeah. And continues to think he wakes up, only to find out that he's still in a more or less bizarre dream world, where he has all these conversations about consciousness and philosophy and what it means to be dreaming versus awake and lucid dreaming and connected universal consciousness. He goes Joe mm-hmm. Rogan territories. Uh, yeah. Uh, felt, honestly, it felt a little all over the place at the beginning. There, there's a lot of non sequitur stuff where you'll you'll be walking across a bridge one moment, and the next moment you're in a pinball uh, arcade, right? And then you're floating off in the space. Yeah, yeah, and it felt pretty disjointed, even with its conceptual stuff and its philosophies. 
uh, at the beginning, and it kind of cohesed more into this idea of dreaming and what dreams are and what it means uh, later on in the film, like about halfway through. Let's before we get too much further into the film, I want to talk about our personal history of dreams because we haven't talked about this. Oh, to my okay. to my knowledge, we've never really talked about dreams, so why not? I'm going to get well, to know we talked Jim about Jones. The Dreamcast, the Inception podcast. I don't think we talked a That's little about bit about someone else's dreams. Really? Though. Okay. Movies. So, do you dream? Have you ever lucidly dreamed? Do you have any common nightmares or dream scenarios that this movie made you think about? I cannot recall ever having a lucid dream. A, Interesting. a dream where I remembered, where I realized in the moment in the dream that I was actually dreaming. Because I thought that some of these, as I was watching this, I just assumed that some of these were universal experiences. Having a lucid dream, mm-hmm. having a dream where you can't wake up from it. You consciously realize you're in a dream that's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole uh, falling off the face of the earth because gravity stops working or some variation. I thought those were all yeah. kind of universal experiences. And I mentioned that to you, and you're like, no, nah, I never don't. I don't, I don't so you've never lucidly well, it, dreamed. It, the fact that I don't remember that's having true. done it that doesn't makes mean it that it hasn't happened. But I think that's when 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 we say I dream, I don't dream, I dream this way, we're talking about the ones we remember because sure. everyone goes through multiple I mean psychologists say neurosurgeons say uh-huh. that we go through several cycles of dreaming every single night. Okay. Uh so yeah, I, I get it, but when when you talk about your <laughs> Mine are always about concrete ice cream, dream though. experience. Is yeah. it always, always the ones ice I remember? Cream dream? Always ice cream sandwiches. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> do you have any recurring when you do dream? Do you have? So you haven't lucidly yeah, dreamed? Yeah, no, I've I've had recurring dreams. Certainly when I was a kid, uh, I thought that I was somehow in the X Files, and yet I was myself. Mm. Um, but I was uh, Mulder at the same time, and yeah. I was looking for this thing called the Phoenix Fireball, which was like a a, a weapon of some kind. I had to right. break into a mansion and find it. And I, several times I had that dream. Right. I've had a similar dream where I've been a part of pop culture, but without the main people being in it. And that yeah. was part of the dream. Like, where the hell are these people? Did you feel like you were the main person? No. I, I, I felt okay. like I was a lackey or a, oh, a B-grade character. <laughs> no, but and we were looking for, like, you know, where is so-and-so? Yeah, yeah. My problem is, since the time I was in my early 20s, I very rarely remember dreams. Yeah. When I do remember them, they're fucking doozies. Okay, sure. And another interesting thing is starting this year, I have been having... I've had lucid dreams before. Usually it's in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had a dream and I woke up and it's like 6 o'clock in the morning and I enjoyed the dream, so I was kind of going to sleep with the thinking of, oh, I wonder if I can get back to the middle of what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. And then being aware that I was slipping back into that state and like, yes, I can just start off right up. And then mm. sometimes I can I can keep that, especially if it's like a Saturday morning and it's like 7.30, 8 o'clock and <laughs> I could wake up, but I could also choose to just continue to doze. Uh-huh. Sometimes I can keep that going for longer, but... Sometimes I start off rem- remembering that I'm lucidly dreaming, and then I forget halfway through. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's back to like just more or less random shit happening. You got to practice like the rock and roller, man. You got to get 360 vision going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that guy was a fucking trip. Yeah. Um, so, do you have do you, how much? How often would you say you dreamed? Oh man, once the the ones that I remember once every 
six months to a year. Wow. Not so very you're, often. You're about the same uh you're about the same frequency as I was until this year started. I don't know what's oh. different about this year. Oh man. The other notable exception is when we first started watching Walking Dead. <laughs> oh God. Because I, I think most long-term listeners know this about me, that I have very little horror experience until I started watching The Walking Dead, and you started making me watch other zombie films. So, like, <laughs> it was strange to think of a 30-year-old man being somewhat traumatized, but uh-huh. I was uh, had no defense. I had no, um, what do you call that, uh, where, where you get, like, a callus in your brain about cruelty or violence? or Like a coping mechanism? No, or... so they say that about desensitized. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was not okay. desensitized about scary, horrific shit happening. Uh, th- to be fair, I cut off your eyelids and I held the screen <laughs> really close. You had a cigar right over my eyeball. <laughs> That's something I want to talk about okay. in this movie. But um, for the first like season we watched Walking Dead... I dreamed like every goddamn night and it wasn't like just all zombie shit. That Uh was probably an eighth of the experiences. I was having these really scary, tense dreams, but it just, I feel like maybe is it possible that you and I are just not getting enough stimulus in our life? Well, that's interesting. Not any new experiences. Yeah. When you bring up the walking dead stuff, um, I, I definitely noticed that when I get intensely involved in something during my waking life, yeah, I tend to dream about it as well. Like mm-hmm. if, if I'm thoroughly engrossed when I first got into Minecraft, mm-hmm. I would dream about Minecraft. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I've done it with Blackjack when I got into hmm. uh, basic strategy and card counting systems. Like <laughs> that kind of weird stuff that just occupies my mind thoroughly during the day, it tends to carry over into my sleep. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a scary thought that I've just been basically maybe mentally dis- not not keeping myself stimulated enough that I've just been sleeping yeah, yeah. through my entire adult life where my brain's like, yeah, I don't need to recontextualize any of this shit. Thank you very much. Sure. That's kind of depressing. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there's also, you know, that's touched on in this film as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this, so there's, there's just a series of scenes mm-hmm. and some of them are more or less the kind of, the conversations you've probably had with your friends. Maybe you smoked weed for the first time. Maybe you dropped acid. Maybe you dropped acid. Maybe you were up at 4 o'clock in the night as a as like a 12 or 13-year-old, and you just started space getting spacey and loopy. Uh-huh. These conversations you have, and they were kind of like conversations you have with other folk, and then they'd also th- randomly throw in a conversation with like a real-life philosopher yeah, or a, a poet or, or something. something, and they'd talk about things like evolution. Yeah, yeah. And um, I thought that was kind of interesting that they would alternate these very professional takes with these kind of informal things. And, and when you say informal, you mean borderline psychotic. I mean, there are a couple these... people in there who just – I don't know if I'm not open-minded enough or intelligent enough or curious enough to understand what these people are saying. But most of it seems like junk uh, and most of it – uh, and, and other parts of it seem like they may have just gone over my head. Well, so the other thing is I wonder if this is just I've been exposed to this kind of information because you get mm-hmm. you get a lot of this content if you watch things like The Matrix sure, or yeah. Inception or mm-hmm. even – oh, shit. What's that one? What's that one film? Uh, God damn it. Uh Jesus, Huckabees. I heart Huckabees. 
Hmm. A lot of the same kind of like, what is consciousness? What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be you? Who is the real you? When you meet, you know, like there's this one thing where he talks about when you meet yourself and you see your dream feet and your dream you, that's not you. (laughs) That's your, I mean, it's basically Morpheus explaining how the matrix construct works, right? Yes, you created an image in your head. But some of these conversations where you can have informally with your friends when you're stoned or when you're staying up late at night or whatever, it feels kind of intimate and you're kind of like doing this self-discovery feels kind of gross when it's on film. And it's just someone filming these people having these conversations. It's like... It feels more like it's being said at you. It's not a conversation. Well, it's like... To, To me, that's how I felt during this film. Like these professors and people were just stating things over and over saying that they're true saying that this is fact and then drawing conclusions from those things that haven't been proven and it felt like more of a conversation at me not with me yeah there was definitely something and i think that's maybe part of the fact that we are silent observers that in a conversation they would have probably gotten a social cue that, hey, we're not feeling this before that, and they would have stopped. And, whereas, or try to explain it differently. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this uh, – the one that really bothered me was this freaky guy. His name – he's a real-life character who's like a a tone poem and a, a, mm-hmm. you know, like a beat poet that's still alive in the 21st century, and his name's Speed something or other. Yeah. And he's just going on and on about this – bullshit this intellectual masturbation is what i referred to it as mm-hmm. and it really kind of bugged me whereas other <laughs> moments i was kind of fascinated and maybe that's you can sure. kind of take and leave it, these things as vignettes like yeah i agree to that i subscribe to it no i don't like it like there's one guy who particularly started talking about um you know the when it's talking about the free will and individuality mm. and responsibility and how decisions that we make are charade and how that's kind of something that is a disquieting fact that we're getting about research from the brain is that sure. we can we can prove that sometimes we react before our conscious brain is aware that our bodies react to it, mm. but our bo- our brain when it sequences the memory retcons it inside your brain. That your brain physically got the stimulus and then made the decision. Well, so sure. that's just knee jerk. I'm getting burnt. Pull my hand off the burner type stuff. How much of our cognitive processes are just, you know, random biomechanical things happening in our brain? Yeah, I've. And it's like it's literally a lot about free will. You might make a decision that profoundly facts your life if you're hungry. When if you'd have had a sandwich or maybe eaten a different type of food, you would with the exact same inputs, you would have made a different decision. Sure, sure. I, I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, so that's like, I don't know, the determin- deterministic versus probabilistic uh, models that he was talking about, it, it seems like he doesn't like the idea that both of them inevitably lead to no freedom of will. Right. Uh, so... But then he just says, like, let's look for another way. Let's figure this out because it's obviously not right the way I don't it like, is. I don't like he, what the reality is saying. Let's make some shit up. Exactly. And he doesn't make any shit up there. He just says that this must be wrong because I don't like it. Therefore, let's keep looking at other things. And, and I agree. Like, the curiosity is a point that they touch on, certainly. As, as children, we are very curious and somewhere along the way – we, that tends to be dulled a little bit. We we fall into our lives. We 
get a little complacent mm-hmm. and we stop being as curious as when we were children mm-hmm. uh and, and it's but yet it's also something that children take for granted right because they have because no, they have no understanding of it sure. yeah uh so you know it's wasted on the youth of course sure uh but that maybe i just don't have that curiosity to say well we have kind of these facts that are building toward a conclusion but let's not accept that let's just continue to keep looking towards something else Maybe I'm just not curious enough to to fully open my mind and understand uh, why this guy is talking the way he is. Well, I I also feel like some of these were half-baked ideas, like especially the one that bothered me was a guy, he's going on and on about how, you know, we're trapped in this little, this brutish society, and we have no say, it's all an illusion, Mm. I'm tired of engaging in a purely symbolic act of voting, and then he sets himself on Mm. fire. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because that's something that I've been wrestling with as an American citizen. What does my vote really matter? Sure, sure. You know, at the and, and and that means something different at the local level than it does where it matters a lot. But it's much harder to be informed. It's so and whereas huh. at the national level where it's super easy to be informed and all the major candidates and you can see all the debates and so um, it matters less. And yet, I and and it, well, it matters more. But I feel like I have less say in it. it. It would matter more if there were better options. Yeah. Or, or any options, really. Yeah, like the, you, you, like you said, you got two different proxy puppets. Who are you going to vote for? And But then at the local level, it's like you really have to stay on your fucking toes if you want to know about the councilman mm-hmm. of your city yeah. uh, or who's on the board of directors or who your state representative is and what all the – you know, it's, it's, it's tough the more granular you pay attention to it. But I also sure. feel like that that's kind of def- – I feel like that most of the American life is lived on air autopilot. And sure. there are a few like turning points in the road where things happen to the country. Everyone is an ant. Or we have opportunities in this country to take advantage of things. And that's when your vote kind of matters and we can do sea change kind of things. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's fair to say that voting is just a kind of matrix-style control system. Yeah, I I was struggling to find the point of that scene because, like I said, it's not really about the dream there. It's more about what what you matter to the world as an individual. Uh, And, you know, he he clearly has an idea in his head that he wants to perpetuate. And it seems like setting himself on fire while these observers walk by is a way for him to do that. And, and create a statement bigger than just himself, bigger than him rambling on a street corner or through a PA system on a car. Right. Where no one is on the streets watching. That was an interesting scene, too. Yeah, I feel like there's a bit of a juxtaposition there. Like also, you can be noisy and you can be proclaiming this message, but if no one is listening and no one sees it or hears it, what good does it do? Also, an interesting thing about, about that particular part being dreamy is I was trying to decide what the man's politics were. Yeah, yeah. The guy who's in the sound card and he's just raving full blast. And I'm like, some things he's saying are <laughs> very conservative ideals, and some of his calls to action are extremely liberal, almost anarchist. Anarchy. He's fed up with bullshit, period, of all kinds. What, or is that just a part of the dream where the thing that's happening is more important than the particulars, hows mm. and whys? And you try to, you know, I think that's. These instances where I've been stuck in dreams, 
has been a res like I remember one memorable one is we used to live in a neighborhood, not we, me. I used to live in a neighborhood mm-hmm. that was like an A frame. You know, you had one entrance and it was basically a big loop that had a uh you know on the other side of A a turnaround, a cul de sac. Mm-hmm. But it's basically this big loop. And I got in uh like right when I first started driving, I started driving around this loop and I would go turn my turn signal on uh to get in my driveway. But I I I like the the inside of the car was this like very nondescript beige thing. They mm-hmm. didn't have a it had a turn signal, but they didn't have a drive a steering wheel nor gas pedals. <laughs> so I lacked the way to, wanted to turn, interact with couldn't. the car to make it turn in there. Mm, and lack I, but, of free will. But yet I somehow was able to still brake and gas and go around and navigate again. It's like okay, well maybe it'll be this time. And I felt like that lasted for hours, and I got huh. I woke up in like a nightmare sweat because yeah. shit, I'm gonna be stuck I here. Just want to turn. And, and what happens I if I run out of gas? Home. Will I die? I mean, I was, it's all this crazy shit happening. Wow, I don't yeah. remember why I told that story. Uh, I I don't remember either. It was an interesting. We're story, talking though. about oh the fact that there was another point I liked about the resolution of dreams, and I feel like does that sometimes uh, sometimes when I get stuck is when there's an insufficient amount of resolution in the world for me to then interact with it in the mm. way that I need to get out of the dream world. <laughs> okay. And two, that's somehow the beginning of a lucid dream where I'm like, there's something about this room that's bullshit. Uh-huh. There's no specific detail. Lights or will turn off. I go through a door and it's just the same room again because my brain's bound to determine I'm going to live some adventure out here. So it's like time <laughs> to flip the script brain. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Some random dream observations. Yeah. Uh, I I also had a, a bit of a problem with the evolution talk. Okay. Uh, societal, so? like human evolution. Uh, oh, Was that sure. the guy who described the difference between uh, the most intelligent, the most yes. philosophically interesting yes. people in the world uh, and normal human as bigger than the difference between a human and an ape or chimpanzee? Yeah, is it the, the relative difference in the intelligence between the average human and the smartest chimpanzee? He doesn't even say that it's intelligence. He says that it's a difference. Okay. He doesn't I, define it at okay. all. Okay. I mean, he said the difference between, like, our poets and philosophers and the average human is a bigger evolutionary quantum leap, whatever, yeah, than the difference between an average human and, I guess, the average chimpanzee, or maybe the really smart chimpanzee. Sure. I have a problem with that basic statement. That it's That's offensive on, on the face of it, uh, I feel. Potentially, it's, it's also Im- immeasurable in the way that he states sure. it. Um, the other issue I had with it is that he necessar- he assumes that human evolution will necessarily take us to a place of more loyalty, freedom, love, creativity, all of that stuff. A mutual, supportive, non-competitive organism. Yes. That's the and opposite of evolution. I find that difficult to believe given human history. Well, but we plus, have not changed very much. Plus, I mean, the way evolution works is you have different you have different <laughs> it's all about competition you have right? different genes that compete for fitness mm-hmm. and the ones that are more fit are expressed more often in nature and the ones that are less fit aren't yeah. now i think it's a very interesting conversation to have this meta narrative where we've now as a side effect of evolution we've effect we've we've come up with consciousness and empathy sure and we've been able to build civilizations because of those things. Are is that going to be selected? And are we going to select people that are more empathetic and more compassionate and more sharing? Or the fact that 
you have the asshole gene is such a huge competitive advantage in today's world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they, they've talked many times about like CEOs and like captains of industry and like inevitably these people, like if you social uh, analyze them socially, you'd say they're like some sort of psychopath or sociopath rather. Sure. That they have the ability to kind of like make these decisions in a vacuum without really talking about what the greater impact to the world or people. And that's why they're able to do some of the things they do, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be still such a huge competitive advantage that even though society gains by more or less working together and cooperating, you're still going to have this asshole class that runs the whole thing? Because, and they're riding on sure. the backs of all the other compassionate, cooperative people. Yeah, I. I, I don't know. Obviously, we can't answer that question in the present. Uh, I, I just think it's starting in that conversation to ascribe some sort of motive to evolution, which it certainly doesn't have. Uh, it it's really is just survival of the fittest. Well, it's also interesting about, like, where we're at as society that, we, you know, like right now, uh, people are all up in arms about the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. And how just... A, a, a how unstable it's been and in, in, in ways that we've you know we've called it unstable before but like now it's like really scary shit happening all the time and you got the israel palestinian thing and people are like you know why can't and it's like well maybe it's this person's fault maybe it's that person's fault and i just wonder like okay if some country some superpower had in the height of like the 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 beginning of the 20th century where you had World War One or World War Two, and been like, you know, hey, Germany and England and France and Ottoman Empire and Russia, you guys just can't fight like this. This is stupid. You just can't be killing civilians on this basket. And it's like, you know, it's self defeating. Would that have actually? Would if you had all these conferences and you had all the United Nations and the, it feels like that Europe just needed to fucking kill millions of people in these ghastly industrial mechanized ways before they just kind of woke up and like, whoa, man, this is too much. We never want to do this again. Hmm. Okay. And it's like, are is is that something that a civilization has to go through before they decided, you know what, we've had enough of war? And it's weird. It's like we really haven't had hmm. enough of war. No. We just had enough of that type of war. Sure, we're like, still waging war. Yeah, like if on we a can, greater scale than ever. If we can kick your ass in and you can do nothing about it, we will happily engage you in war. Yeah, yeah. If there's me- chances of mass casualties on our side, then oh no, that's that's <laughs> so it's there's still a weird disconnect. But sure, I don't know. It's like sometimes I wonder if this is counterproductive. Like maybe there needs to be a descent into chaos and barbarism before. Uh, that particular section of civilization is ready to put that stuff aside. Well, I mean, take it to an individual level. A lot of people, when they're down and out, have to hit rock bottom before they realize it and get their shit straightened out, right? Right. If that translates in any way to societal concerns, perhaps that is the case. I don't know, but it's kind of like, you know... Whether you think the technological singularity will happen. Sure, and they talk about that and as well. And whether that will be a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's kind of a hodgepodge of just general philosophical questions in the beginning, right? Let's talk about this other thing because you've, we've mentioned it about the humanity or intelligence being the consciousness of the universe. And it's something that Joe Rogan talks about. And sure. he says this, you can explore this by taking like DMT or LSD or whatever uh, hallucinogen of your, your choice. But they mentioned mm-hmm. this st- statistic. And I don't know if it's – I'm going to take it as face value. It could be just made up. Okay. 
Um, but these crosswords that if you take if you take a person and you give them a crossword, their performance is X. If you give them a crossword that just came out in the previous day's newspaper, but they personally have never seen, mm-hmm. their performance is X plus twenty around twenty percent better improvement. And the one of the theories is that like maybe you were somehow telepathically or were like some sort of you know almost genetic memory that as society we're seeing these things and we're better at things because the people around us are better at things. We're I, sure. that's the, bullshit, right? Because um, <laughs> it, it also reminds me of the double slit experience. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, with the light where you pass sure. a light yeah. and it looks like it's, ray and it looks like a wave, and then if you try to measure it, if you t- it, it actually yeah. changes how it manifests, and that's fucking crazy. Yet that's real life. Sure, the act of measuring or getting information about something makes something else about it squirrelier to pin down. Yeah, I, I certainly. I, I don't want to say definitively that I would rule out any possibility of some sense that we all have that we just haven't figured out yet or or even really discovered uh, in a measurable way. I We certainly don't have any evidence that that's the case, right? Sure. I mean, th- there are – sure, you can do tests with crossword puzzles. I'd like to see the test and how it was conducted because um, you, you have to be really careful when you do those kinds Hell of tests. Hell yeah. And you have to have a large enough sample size that it can't yes. be random chance. Yes, and it's got to be double blind. And there's yeah, there's a scientific method for a reason. I I would love to see the data on that. Uh, taking them at face value, that that's actually true, it needs to be investigated more. I guess. How how would you go about devising an experiment that would prove what the mechanism there is? Well, you'd first have to have a theory. You'd yeah. have to have a hypothesis, and then you'd be derive, divide sure. the test. Sure, and, and a lot of this stuff I immediately dismiss as complete bullshit. And mm-hmm. then the telepathic stuff is probably one of those things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, that's that's the reason why, because there aren't any theories really proposed. I do want to hear theories. I mean, there are people who need to think about this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly. I'm not going to be that person sure. <laughs> because I like to live more in what I consider reality. Yeah. Uh, but I think th- there's a certain nobility in being a little out there and thinking differently uh, in the Joe Rogan-esque sort of way to kind of just spur on thought. You don't – You don't. as long as you're not saying that these theories are truth and trying to get people to believe them without evidence, I'm okay with that. But somebody needs to be out there thinking – in interesting ways you know what i think is 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 frustrating to that line of uh argument is the fact that it's illegal to research things like hallucinogenics and its effect on the brain and like that shit all got shut down in the 60s and 70s it seemed like it was uh i mean there was a lot of like ridiculous research but there was also Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that's showing that this has a lot of benefits and maybe would tell us about things that we don't know about the way our mind works but fuck no it's too dangerous to even study i've seen men who stare at goats yes (laughs) just put some lsd in the water water and we're good and 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 no you're absolutely right i i think there's a lot we don't understand about the state of the brain and as we search research that more and more we'll get a clearer picture of it. But, I mean, all of these things like LSD and dreaming and uh, what happens when you die, all of these are kind of abnormal brain states that we just don't understand yet. Hmm. And I think 
that's where the biggest, you know, between thinking outside of the box and actually doing research on how the brain works, we're going to get a lot more, uh, a lot better picture of what's going on during those times. One thing I wanted to ask you about is there's a lot of some of this stuff seem to be like a, more hippie nonsense than others. Like this sure. one girl, she's like she's ran into this guy, and she's like, "Hey, I want to know about you, and I want to go away to an apartment, and I want to talk because I want authentic life. I'm tired of people saying paper, plastic, credit or debit. You know, I want to have an authentic human. That's like, bitch. I don't want to be an ant. Fuck the Walmart cashier then, like." <laughs> I, you know, that, that is a, that is an existential void in your life. That's not necessarily true for all humans. Like I can see, uh, a really shallow person in like Los Angeles or New York walking around these big giant cities, all these people and feeling this lonely. That's something I can't personally connect with because I do have authentic relationships with a few people, and I uh-huh. don't want that authentic relationship with every person I meet. Like, yeah, yeah. God bless the humans in New York City guy for taking these photos and getting these people's life stories, but he's not friends with all those people, and he doesn't sure. care about those people. He's doing it for a fucking art project so he can get a bunch of hits on the internet. I'm deeply <laughs> skeptical of the idea that we all need to be more connected into, as a community mm-hmm. of like deeply – like that I need to know everything about my – all of my neighbors and all my coworkers. And I, there's just – I don't think the average person has that much caring in their body. That's the thing. I, I, I'm kind of with you there. Uh, I don't need to have a deep, intense relationship with everyone I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't want that actually. But I think there needs to be some base level of caring. Like when you're when you're walking down the street uh, and you see, you know, a guy like we talked about the the leftovers in another podcast. You see mm. a homeless man trip and drop his groceries and flop around on the ground. Well, there there needs to be some level of caring there, right? Sure. Uh, and I don't know. This is might be more of a commentary on the character or if you take it as a universal sort of thing that we all feel like you're saying uh it, it could go in the the societal caring sort of category but maybe the character himself doesn't feels disconnected and wants some kind of relationship because like he makes a phone call at one point in the episode mm-hmm. nobody answers he leaves mm-hmm. a message he's just like whatever man yeah i guess yeah. i'll catch right. you later Tell you about my dream I had. Right. Uh, so Inside I, his dream. I've, I find it really hard to tell what is supposed to be commentary on humans as a whole and society and what is actually this character's experience. Because it doesn't feel like there's a character there. It feels like the character is all of us. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that this is supposed to be uh, universe, And I guess that's why I'm talking about the stuff. That, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the stuff that I didn't feel a lot more than things I did feel probably because I'm making the bias that the things I did feel are more universal things I didn't feel are more atypical that maybe other people would have problems. But when she said this about the straw and he's like, yeah, yeah, man, I read this one guy and he's like, you know, what a world we'd live in if when people met that there was a confrontation between two souls, like we're all these Mm. like demigods and we can have this exchange of information and find out everyone's rights and wrongs. And I'm like, that would be fucking exhausting. Sure. 
Like, unless we were a world that of telepaths where we instantly know everyone's deepest, darkest secrets and fears, and they know ours, and there's a 300... That would just be every single time you walk and, and cross someone in the street instead of just keep on going, have you stopped and had this soul-searing conversation with yeah, them? Yeah. Or just stared at them and lived in the holy moment. Yeah. Uh, I don't think society would get much done, and as a matter of fact, society may not exist if you take it far enough back, because you'd be eaten by a tiger. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sitting here having a holy moment with two of the other only humans on the planet, and there's a grizzly bear behind us? Yeah. We're fucked. Yeah. We're all done. Was well, they mentioned that, too, like the whole, you know, how language went from uh, yeah, describing yeah. things like, I'm hungry, this food is good to eat, holy shit, there's a saber-toothed tiger, to now you, and you say to someone that I love you, what mm-hmm. the fuck does that mean? Like that's sure. a word that means something to you based on your experiences and the things that you've read and your feelings or your lack thereof of the feelings of love mm-hmm. that you're then tr- saying to somebody and it filters through all that. Who really even knows? And that's if you're honestly – when not everyone that says I love you loves you and not everyone that says I love sure. you back loves you back. But even if you say Communication is it, fucking <laughs> weird when you really think about it. Completely. And even if you say it genuinely, it means something different to them. Because, like you said, of their experience. So there's... And someone always loves someone else more. Like, I don't think that there's ever a situation where two people love each other equally. You might be right, The best you can hope for is to never quite ascertain which of you loves each other the most. (laughs) I think that's the ideal situation. Uh Maybe you suspect that you love the other person the most, but you can't prove it. That that, that's probably the happiest relationship where you have that kind of somewhat positive uncertainty. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah, uh, there was another point as well that was kind of tangled up in all that that I I can't remember now, uh, which is too bad because I thought it would be super interesting to talk about. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Never mind. I'm running out of topics. I'm I'm wondering how I can get – I've – I reached to switch off this podcast, but my panel is completely blank. There used to be slot. The, the lights <laughs> are still moving up and down. Yeah, the knobs spin, but it, they just don't do anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was the guy in the prison cell all about? Do you have any take Dude, on that whatsoever? That was disturbing. A. I mean, who hasn't? For whatever reason, just engaged in some dark revenge fantasy. Sure. I think everyone has sadistic thoughts at some point. Yeah. And I've never had a dream where that happens, but it seems like things could really get out of hand, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a dream. And maybe that's what they're, the, 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 this guy was having thoughts that was even ter- – like sometimes I've had – and I do it sometimes as uh, I've done. I know I've done it with you. I've done it with my girlfriend, who I trust, where I'll just get like really, really bad, like horrific level of like maniacal things. Okay. Sure. sure. And it's kind of a performance experiment. Like, you know, how yeah. fucked up can I make this and still be a little bit funny? <laughs> but sometimes I get to the point where, like, my God, my brain came up with that thing that I just said. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's shocking and scarring to me. What does that say about myself as a person that I can visualize? You know, and I've always been fascinated from a, even a very early age, like the concept of torture, like especially medieval style torture. Mm, like yeah. who the fuck came up with that shit, then decided that they're going to make it and then decided they're going to employ it on a fellow human being. Yeah. Like what the fuck? 
And is it in and, and you know it, yeah, and the only reason I don't do that is because I'm not living in a medieval society that would be happy to indulge me. Maybe. Or am I just a good person that has really <laughs> fucked up thoughts? I don't know. Sure, sure. I, I society <laughs> probably puts a lot of bounds on human behavior. Especially you, A-Rod. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you're suddenly giving these very safe, reassuring answers to me. Yeah. <laughs> you got, yeah. got a little dark in the oh, studio. Oh, no, no, Aaron. Of course everyone feels that. That's completely normal. <laughs> Nine, one, one. <laughs> but, uh, but no one's compelled to act on that. You know what's interesting? So I'd never heard of this movie. It came out in 2001 mm-hmm. in October, just a month after the Twin Towers fell in New York. Yeah, yeah. Roger Ebert gave this four stars because, again, my go-to is I always look to see what he thought. Mm-hmm. What would the experience be like differently if you watched it? I, I'm trying to think whether the predominant thought around this movie was this is a bunch of vacuous bullshit and we've got more serious things to worry about. and you know we got Or were people's minds more open to this kind of uh, – I mean – I. I you can't say I want it, I almost said gentle and then I almost said ham fisted, but I think the, the reality is there's both approaches and everything in between. Sure. There's ham fisted and gentle ponderings about human consciousness and dreaming. Yeah. How do you think that that was received back in the day? So I know that there was kind of this dream like nightmare like quality to 9 11. Mm-hmm. Certainly people were shocked sure. um, by what they saw. And how could this be real? <clears throat> and I think maybe the desire for it not to have happened um, could potentially make this film more interesting to people mm. uh, in, in that time period th- than it would be now. I mean, it's certainly the issues it raises are universal and, and timeless. Uh but in that moment, yeah, there was a dreamlike quality to it. Now, I've I've never really subscribed to that. I saw what was happening. Certainly, it was shocking, but it was reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised by it, but not in denial. Mm. So I, I'm not really subscribing to the to to the idea that it would have any uh, different impact at that point than it would now. But I could certainly see where people might be influenced by it that way differently. Hmm, that's interesting because I was older than you and it happened and I was a different you know, I had a family already at that time. And I do think that there was uh quite a bit of denial on this, you know, like what does this mean and There was. I'm not saying that like the people in general didn't. I just never felt that. Okay. No, I'm I I'm just saying that uh I'm just repping the opposite view because I do, do okay. definitely remember in that you, week you were in the weeks that. and then watching the other bizarre thing is watching the kind of country uh, initially come together, but then kind of divvy up over the divisive war that we were getting ourselves into and sure. like, you know, what that was like and like how it felt inevitable, mm-hmm. even though there was a, I, it's that to me felt very dreamlike a, a thing about, you know, you can't, you can't get off of this. You can't get off of this dream you're having, you know? Yeah. But I, I saw the decisions leading up to it. I saw, you know, we were being fed a bunch of bullshit but you could kind of see through the bullshit if you really cared to. Uh, I just saw the snowball rolling down the hill. It wasn't like I saw a snowball at the top of the hill, and then all of a sudden I'm down at the bottom, and there's a massive snowball coming toward me. Hmm. I saw the changes going on. Hmm. So it, it didn't feel very dreamlike to me. In a, in a dream, I feel like 
things aren't always connected in the way that they are in reality. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think a lot of this film itself is showing that, you okay. know, with the non sequiturs and stuff like that. That was one thing that I wanted to ask you in particular, and it'd be interesting to hear from other people, like, you know, the ones that lived through it and maybe saw this film as a contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would definitely like to, to see what other people have, have thought about it. What else do you want to talk about? Uh, what do you mean? What do you think was meant by the, the character, the main character floating off into space, both as a child, uh, refusing to float off into space, grabbing the handle, uh, of the car door and holding himself down versus at the end where, uh, he's had all these experiences through the dream and he wants out of the dream. He reaches for the handle still, but he's not able to grab it. And he floats off into space. To me, I thought that was him waking up. Okay. That he finally found some way to break the pattern. And I've, and I also thought that was interesting because I took that as a universal. I've had that dream and it's manifested in a couple of different ways. Number one is like I ran so fast that I realized my feet were no longer making solid contact with the ground. I kept running faster and I just <laughs> was going fast enough that then you know, I just be- achieved extremely low earth orbit. Okay. But and I couldn't like drag my feet because I wasn't in contact, and I just kept on getting. You know, I was going straight. The faster you go, the higher you. And float. the Earth was was you know curving away from me. I was still going straight, and I've had that feeling, and I've also had the feeling okay. where gravity just shut off. Mm. And I remember sure. like you know grabbing onto the grass and kind of being playful, but then like the grass gave way, and like oh shit, now there's nothing to catch up to. Yeah, That's yeah. another dream that lasted forever because I remember like seeing the curvature of the earth and the sky is slowly getting black. And, and, and then it's like another one that was really weird. Like I remember it was like, I don't really know what it would be like up here. And then I woke up. Ah, uh, like the fact the dream that reality is broken. My brain's like, I got nothing. What do you want to know? <laughs> I've never been in the low earth orbit asshole. It shows you the, the, this is what Google earth at night looks like. The San Diego Padres chicken <laughs> mascot. And then you wake up. I saw the Google earth logo and I'm like, nah, this is bullshit. Uh, <laughs> My brain's like, I got nothing. What do you want? <laughs> Be more curious, asshole. Um, but no, I, I guess I felt like that was him finally getting out of the pattern because that was his pattern. He'd wake up, yeah. and then his first realization that he was still dreaming was usually him floating off. You know, because that happened like four times, right? It did. Yeah, it happens where he floats off several times. Um, so there, there's a moment where they kind of describe. Did his totem fall over? I, I didn't see a totem. Damn it. We didn't watch past the credits. Maybe we need to. <laughs> uh, he he didn't. So throughout the end of the film, he's trying to get out of the stream state. Mm-hmm. But at the the very end when, you know, he's sucked up into the sky, he does grab for the handle of the car door. It's mm-hmm. not like he knows that this is what's happening and mm-hmm. he wants out. Now, that could be a function of him just not realizing yet that he's in a dream still. Uh, and And... You know, just wanting to stay on the earth. Uh-huh. Um, th- there's also the idea somewhere along the way that uh, I think it's Cloud Guy, who the holy moment guy, who <laughs> basically says that th- all of life is the the question from God: Do you want to become one with eternity? Yeah, uh, and it's a constant us saying no until we finally say yes. And and he draws the conclusion that inevitably everyone says yes. Mm. Uh, I don't know why that would be true. Because you get tired of living, apparently. So so if in his scenario, I could live forever. 
if I just continue to say no. Yeah, but everybody has a moment of weakness, I guess. If I continued to say no, wouldn't I also be one with eternity because I would live eternally? Well, you'd be stuck in your meat sack, obviously. You wouldn't really be connected. You don't have to, Okay, I'm not going to try to break his logic anymore. You don't have, yeah, because like at one point you were debating about the soul thing. Yeah, yeah. So there's the, the very Buddhist idea of reincarnation uh-huh. where uh, new people who are born are the reincarnations of previous souls. Well, if that's the case, what happens when the population doubles? Like, let's say also, there are 500,000 no one... souls, all of the souls are inhabiting bodies. All of a sudden, it, it increases to a million people on the Earth. Well, do right. 500,000 people not have souls? Do souls get duplicated? Do souls get created from somewhere else? Then there's a lot of questions And there. no one was ever, like, the fucking stable boy of a shithole, or no one died <laughs> at eight years old of the Black Plague and lived a miserable, ignorant life. It's always, like, I was Alexander the Great, was or Napoleon, or whatever. Yeah. So I guess, but that's what was when. So I started answering that. And I'm like, but wait, I'm just making shit up, <laughs> which is exactly what they're doing. Which in is exactly this holy moment thing. Yeah, that's exactly what you end up doing with anything where you're starting to talk about metaphysics. Is you're just starting to, uh, sure. you know, reincarnation is not a scientific idea. No, so you can say whatever the fuck you want about it. Yeah, it feels more to me like this guy is just uncomfortable with the idea that that each moment is not sacred, that he's kind of living like a robot, living like an ant. Yeah. Uh, and he wants there to be more in each moment. Uh, but but he himself says it's unattainable because if he, if he were to live like that, he would be in a constant state of crying, uh, for one, because that's his chosen reaction instead of laughing, mm. uh, and, and just constantly staring at everything, doing nothing. Hmm. So you you can't. I mean, oh, the other idea I wanted to talk about was the idea that while you're awake, your brain shuts down certain functions, sure, um, so that you're able to experience function these things and not destroy yourself or others. Yeah, and then when you're asleep, the brain shuts down the part that inhibits those, uh, and now you've got some other level of consciousness. I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm fairly comfortable saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two ideas are directly related. If we were to not have control over uh, what we did with the sensory input that we get right. on on an every moment <laughs> basis, we would be in the holy moment perpetually. Yeah, and I don't know if that's a bad thing. I have two I thoughts it about I, it. It comes back to the tigers and the grizzly bears. If we were in those holy moments forever perpetually we'd be dead we no, wouldn't I be do a think species. something that we could do is like the the concept of being present in the moment being mindful yeah. like to always be mindful and not you know and uh i don't know what you think about deepak chopra there's a lot of skeptics that like fucking hate him i don't like him but i think and i don't you know there's a lot of stuff he bought that he pushes that i don't subscribe with but he's sure. very big in that like you know when you're taking a shower don't just do like a chore i mean this is you taking care of the temple of your consciousness and when you're feeding don't just Stuff your mouth full of mindless shit. Think about like this is the ner- and and I think that there. Oh man, do I? <laughs> I think that that is a good way to live. It's like I wouldn't say yeah, it's yeah. always in the moment with staring eyeball to eyeball with God, but being yeah. mindful of like all the things we do that are you know taking care of ourselves and taking care of others is is a good way to live. Yeah, the idea of why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah, that's a great question to ask. Uh, being self aware is a super important thing. 
yeah. so many people aren't. I was just I trying to think what the second thing I wanted to say about that, and I can't remember. Okay. It's another dream. Touche. <laughs> we both forget everything we want to talk about. I can't. This is going to be a very frustrating podcast experience because I can already tell when I'm listening to it. I'm going to be like, you forgot this fucking thing, you oh, asshole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the nature of dreams, man. It is. It is. Not all of it will be remembered. Yeah. Just like this film. And just like Bald Move. It's just like Bald Move. <laughs> this podcast will be relegated to the forgotten holy the moments. The dustbin of iPods. <laughs> the interconnected iPodosphere. Yep. Uh, We're not actually going to release this. We're just going to let you sense it. So to you guys doing your crossword puzzles right now, this we can be the double blind experiments. We need to get another. We need to get somebody, uh, maybe Eric and Jesse, to administer an experiment. We'll have Michael Kessler guess what we said about this film, (laughs) and then we'll compare it to what we actually said. Double blind test. There we go. Right, right. Or we'll we'll let one more person listen to it every day until we figure oh. out exactly how many people need to listen to it before the threshold of universal yeah. consciousness. And then, you know, like not everyone needs to see The Godfather to know what it's about now. <laughs> Eventually, yeah, like yeah. maybe 100 million people listen to this podcast and the whole world will know about it, even though they haven't listened to it. Maybe so. <laughs> or it could be a bunch of bullshit. Uh, but thank you to Michael Kessler who and Emma and and I was going to say and Emma presumably Kessler for uh, sponsoring this podcast and uh, giving Michael a very nice birthday present. Uh, hope you've enjoyed our coverage of it. It's like nothing we've ever done before. Com- yeah, completely. And I never would have thought to see this movie. Uh, maybe I don't know because like sometimes I go through a director kick if I'd seen like Boyhood and decided I gotta. First of all, I didn't know that he'd done as much stuff as he had done. But, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I might have gone through, but certainly not this particular day with, with and talking to my good friend Jim and uh, recording it as a podcast. Yeah. A, l- a little awkward because I, I feel like I didn't fully understand the film. Well, I mean, that's uh, the thing. That's, some of these projects are tough from the standpoint of this film needs to be seen more than a few times if you at all like it just to kind of f- grapple with all the things. But on the other hand... Yeah. Again, I feel like this movie is the the more impressive it is, the less of the other types of stuff like it you've seen. Yeah, no, that's true. Like if you've never seen a movie that that questions a bunch of philosophical underpinnings, or you've had a lot of philosophy in college, then this mm-hmm. might not be as interesting um, or or thought provoking as it is. And I'm kind of like somewhere in between because I've had exposure to a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. But you know, some of the ideas were new to me and. I don't know. Like I said, it's it's a unique film watching experience, and it's been really weird talking about it. Yeah, I still I don't get the scene with the guy with too many teeth in his head. Oh, I yeah. don't know what he's talking about. He is on about some crazy shit. I think that was the real life life of Pie Guy. <laughs> it might have been. And he was trying to explain what Richard the Tiger meant when by way yeah. of his many more than humanly possible teeth. Uh-huh. He got a smile like a great white. It was crazy. The Great White had square cow teeth. That's what the mm-hmm. smile would look like. Yuck. All right. Well, I think that's about it then, right? Yeah. If you'd like to uh, commission one of these suckers, go to subbable.com slash baldmood to find out how. There's really no concept of feedback on these suckers. Unless you want to send in your personal feedback, like yeah. your thoughts on the thing. We, we might. We questions might. that we, you want us to answer, uh, things you want us to talk about in the, in the actual podcast. Yeah, and we've got a movies at baldmove.com to discuss any of those questions you might have. 
Uh, but thanks again for sponsoring it. It was really entertaining. It was a fun podcast too. Hope you're happy with it. And uh, we've got a bunch. We get, we kind of got a backlog we're trying to clear out. Uh, there'll yeah. be uh, at least one a week coming for the foreseeable future on these uh, commission podcast deals. So keep them coming, guys. We're having fun doing them. Mm-hmm. Until next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>